Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz. Here are your hosts, Zach Harper and Andy Larson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Today, Zach Harper is out of town and unfortunately couldn't join us on the show today. So, we have in his stead the great Stephen Lindsay. He's a KSL.com writer and uh, person who wore LeBron's shirt into work today. He's got Allen Iverson's socks. Uh, I've got AI it all, man. crossing over Ty Lu on his socks. Uh, great up-and-coming writer that uh, you guys should all watch for later on in his career because he's going to do good stuff. Excited to have him on the radio on Salt City Hoops today. Um, we've had a lot of basically great basketball conversations around the office, and I was, I'm kind of excited to bring them on on the radio to you guys. Uh, we've got a fun show. First of all, I'll, I'll say this. How, how are you, Steve? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. This yeah. is like, uh, what could be better? Two hours of uh, talking basketball. Uh, I mean, there are some things, but not very many things. Not very that many. That are better than, no. than just talking about basketball. In fact, this is just the best job ever. Just side note. Talking and writing about basketball, then thinking about it all the time is is a great thing, and I'm lucky to be able to do it. Anyway, uh, so we've got a fun show for you today. Uh, really, the NBA season is starting to get into the swing of things. We're starting to see a lot of NBA previews out there. Uh, we've got training camp coming up next Monday, so that's Monday the 26th. Uh, and then I guess that's next, next Monday. Cue the hot takes. We've got media training camp where Quinn Snyder and the jazz coaching staff invite media uh, to play basketball, Are run their going? drills. I am going. That's next Tuesday okay. the 20th, so that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, also that night, Gordon Hayward is going to be playing video games here in City Creek uh, at the Microsoft Store, kind of showing people what he's got. Is there um, a future for that guy in, in esports after this? Uh, it depends, you know, what games are popular in 15 years, right? Because he's still got yeah. quite an NBA career ahead, ahead of him. But you let's know, hope. Uh, I think I think he's like I think he's relatively talented. I think he could at least bring some attention to the sport. He's he's from what I hear, very good among people who really know what they're talking about. Well, it's half his blog, right? Is, right. Is esports. So. Is esports and gaming. And as Zach likes to say, that's the future. That's what we should all be in. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're, we're going to talk about the uh, Sports Illustrated Top 100 list. They've been ranking the top 100 players in the NBA. The Jazz have five of them. We'll talk in, about those rankings, where they are in that top 100, where they deserve to be, and then some of these other arguments that have been started by this list. We've been having them on Twitter and, like I say, at work all day today. We'll do in or out on NBA team off-seasons. That's a, another discussion we've been having a lot of. Um, you know, What do we make of the Chicago Bulls off-season? What do we make of the Orlando Magic and the direction they're going in? Does Portland better or worse next season? We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about some of the great lineups for the Utah Jazz, as well as your favorite lineup for the Jazz. Uh, we also had an opportunity to hear from Quinn Snyder in David Locke's Locked On NBA podcast that he released yesterday. Right. Spoke for 25 minutes on that, said some really interesting things. I just want to get a couple of clips from there and, and kind of hear from the man himself what he plans on doing with the Jazz next season. I think it's kind of the first chance that we've had in a while to hear what Quinn Snyder has been thinking about this offseason, and, and that's, I think, really important for what the season will look like. And then, of course, we'll go around the NBA, wrap it up with some fun stuff, some nicknames, 
Uh, the NFL has some weird finalists we want to talk about and generally just have some fun. As always, this is a social show, so please uh, feel free to chime in if you'd like with any comments, questions, or concerns for Steve and I. Uh, We've got Giorgio Spanias already asking questions, so I love him. He's he's, he's the guy the Greek from Greece, freak, right? Yeah, he's the okay. guy from Gre- Greek Freak. Exactly. I mean, he's not literally Giannis Antetokounmpo. Right, right. But, but he's the media, well, the radio the one, call-in version. Yes, he is the one who stays up until 4 a.m. to listen to our show in in Greece. So we really appreciate Giorgios and, and his uh, involvement in the show. Uh, and if you want to join him, you can always tweet us at Andy B. Larson. Your Twitter handle is at TH3SL3. Why is it so complicated? It should be the SL3, but just like Dan's Twitter okay. handle got kind of hijacked. I mean, I'm I'm openly lobbying for anybody who has the the SL3. What is what does the last three mean? So SL3, I'm the third Stephen Lindsay. Oh, okay. Uh, just to you know make it official. Okay, gotcha. Uh, uh, so That's legit. we figured, yeah, it's it's totally legit. We better bring it in. It's a shout out to my forebears. So. Would you would you put Lindsay the third on your on the back of of your jersey? Would you put the three yeah, numerals? No, okay. absolutely. I would have the three eyes on there. It's it's a shame I'm not the fourth because I've always thought that one was the coolest, okay. the IV. But you know, I, you, you do what you can. My wife's out on on the Stephen Lindsay the fourth, so I, <laughs> I don't think there's a future really? there. Oh, that's such a, that's that's a real bummer. Yeah, yeah, I mean it is, but I guess she just figures let's end the curse now. I mean, is it a curse? Uh, for height, it is. Okay. I mean, there's a reason I'm on this radio show and not playing right now. I, so. I don't know that the genetics are really solved by okay. My names, well, but maybe I if mean, we want to go that anything, far, anything I mean, is possible. Who knows? Um, yeah. So anyway, you can tweet us, <laughs> Andy B. Larson at the th3 sl3 for Steve. Well done. Uh, and you can also call us if you'd like eight seven seven three five three zero seven hundred with your hot jazz or NBA takes. Um, or questions, or comments, or concerns, whatever. Uh, anyway, let's let's get right into this this Sports Illustrated Top 100 list. So, like I said, the Jazz are uh, well featured in this list. In fact, they're one of only six teams with five players in this Top 100. No team has six players in this Top 100. So, if you just go by number of players in Sports Illustrated Top one, Top 100, you know. Th- they're really predicting the Jazz to be an elite team. You've got Rodney Hood as the 85th best player. Uh, George Hill, new point guard for the Jazz, 56th best player. And then you've got kind of the Jazz's big three. Rudy Gobert, 33rd best player. Derek Favors, 28th best player. Gordon Hayward, 27th best player in the NBA. Agree? Disagree? What What do you think when you first see that list? First off, great company for the Jazz, right? Uh, yeah. The other teams included, for those interested, Boston, Cleveland, Golden State, San Antonio, and then Orlando, interestingly enough. But uh, to be honest, I'm in on all five players that are on the list for the Jazz. Uh, as I think I'll have the opportunity to discuss maybe in this, the one guy I'm not as high on as everybody else as a Jazz fan is Rudy Gobert. Hmm. You know that, Andy. We've talked yeah. about that. Um, and maybe we'll get into that more. Um, Let's but, get into I mean, tell me why. You can't just say, I don't like Rudy Gobert, and then not tell us why. So it's it's not that I don't like Rudy. Um, this is a recurring theme with me and family members who are always talking basketball. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not as sold on Rudy as everybody else because I think that at times offensively, and we saw this a lot last season, the Jazz have a tendency to become almost a four-on-five team. Now, mm-hmm. Rudy has abilities, and, and I think his best place is when you can play him almost like a DeAndre Jordan where he catches lobs and, and doesn't see the basketball that much. 
I don't really know how that fits into the Jazz scheme, and I'm sure Quinn is actively coming up with with plans to help Rudy be more of um, an efficient cog in the Jazz's offensive machine. But the one play that the one thing that just drives me insane is Jazz come down the floor, Rudy trails, catches it at the three point line, and from there it's a pass. Right, he's not going to shoot the ball. Right, he's not going to dribble. So. I mean, what's the point? And maybe that changes. I, th- I think really the point is Rudy Gobert likes to feel involved in the offense. He Agreed. feels that there's a correlation, and I think he gets to decide that, of when he feels involved in the offense and what kind of contributor he can be on the defensive end. And you've got to get big guys' touches. Yeah, and I think that's really what Quinn Sanders is trying to do is get that early touch at the, at the top of the key in the offense and then kind of move on from there, have him then be a screener or whatever else from there. And, and of course, obviously there are a lot of things you can do from that sort of set of having him Here's, yeah. at the top, of the top of the elbow or top of the key. Here's what I worry about, Andy. Yeah. I think in today's landscape of the NBA, uh, interestingly enough, with the more money that's out there, the more guys are getting max deals. Sure. And I think there's somebody who's going to be willing to cash in on Rudy and say, okay, we're going to offer you this huge deal. Maybe not a max. Maybe I it is a max. I think he gets a max. Like, no question. I, I think he gets a max, though. Here's my thing. Until you can develop a go-to five-foot shot, five feet, that's all I'm asking, something around the basket, are you a max player in the NBA? DeAndre Jordan says yes. Other players say yes. With Rudy, I don't know that I would pay him the max. Do you think that there's a difference? I mean, when you look at DeAndre Jordan, do you think he deserves a max contract? I'll start there. No. I See, and I, I think like what we used to think of as a max contract and what really is a max contract in the NBA, right. I think teams have really started to realize that like there just aren't that many opportunities to get a max level player. And so if you're saving this max contract for someone that's not, never going to come, you might as well spend the money in, in that's an important point. And that's the same thing with Gordon that we saw a couple years ago with his deal, right? right? People said he wasn't a max player. I think he absolutely is a max player today, and you guys have discussed that even last week. But uh, that that's an important point. I'll give you that. Yeah, so I, I anyway, I think that's kind of where... I, I, look, I, I get your concerns with Rudy Gobert, and I do think he has to show offensive improvement from last year and I, you know he's obviously working on that part of his game we see like him take three-point shots in, in practices yeah. and these in these kind of like fuzzy videos of us taking videos from the corner <laughs> of the gym while Rudy Gobert works out in the opposite corner stuff right? that's not allowed at a college practice yeah right uh, exactly <laughs> <laughs> stuff we we barely get away with yeah uh, and so I, I think ultimately like I, I do think that will probably improve. I also think sometimes we're just fair, unfair to defensive superstars. Like, that's fair. That's Kyrie fair Irving is a really bad defender, right? He's atrocious, but he's a really great offensive player. Rudy Gobert is a, a pretty bad offensive player. Maybe atrocious is fair to say. Defensively, he changes the game in the same way that maybe Kyrie does on the offensive end. That's a good Kyrie's point. like a no-brainer max guy, and and everyone's kind of worried about this Gobert max. I, I think you kind of look at, and maybe, you know, maybe those aren't equivalent situations. Maybe you can play four on five on defense easier than you can play four on five on offense, but maybe not. Maybe those are equal and, and we should treat defensive superstars in the same way we treat offensive superstars. Well, and I know we'll get to this. Quinn talked about kind of guys, players that fit the identity of a team. His comparison was the Seahawks and how Marshawn Lynch was the running back. If you have a punishing running back, you depend on your defense and you feed your running back. Mm. Rudy fits the Jazz's identity better than maybe another Max. He is exactly without Rudy Gobert. There's no reason to have this identity. Absolutely, and and so I think Rudy, Rudy, like you said, he is the Jazz's identity. And for that matter, yeah, it it makes sense to to pay him the big bucks. Um, You know, 
just from the fan perspective for me, I like to be able to watch a guy who is going to make something happen when he does catch the basketball sure. five feet from the hoop. And and I know that's that's but selfish. Don't you also like to see blocks? I I'm love just playing, to, I love to I'm see blocks. I'm playing devil's advocate here. You know, just one more thing, and I don't want to make a big point out of this, but I want to see Rudy start catching the basketball in the air or doing something Bill Russell-esque because while swats into the stands are cool, let's get the basketball back into our teammates' hands. And that's not yeah. against Rudy. That's the NBA as a whole. But I'm waiting for somebody to just kind of figure that out and be like, hey, let's not swat this 15 rows out just because we can. Right. I think Tim Duncan does that um, right. or did that now that he's a retired yeah, past player. Tense. Uh, but obviously there's a lot of players that don't. And in fact, this is something that Nylon Calculus has looked at if you want to look it up. Yeah, and defensive kind sticks. Of They're great. How they do at not only blocking balls but uh, keeping the ball in play too. So anyway, I, we've got a couple questions on Twitter from Giorgio Spinias. Hi from Greece. Are there any minutes for Alec Burks this year? Will he be involved in a trade? Uh, I think there are minutes for Alec Burks. I think he gets 15, 20 minutes a game. I think he ends up probably about the same as Joe Johnson for the regular season. And then who plays in the playoffs will be both matchup and uh how the regular season goes determined, if that makes sense. You know, if yeah. if Joe Johnson is a more effective defender and is a better fit in the offense in the regular season, then he'll get more playing time in the playoffs. And, you know, vice versa, if, if Alec Burks turns out to take that next step and really help his team, then he'll obviously get more minutes than a aging Joe Johnson. Alec Burks is a really interesting topic for me because three or four years ago, the comparison was, who's better, Gordon Hayward? Or Alec Burks. Mm-hmm. It seemed like that was a debate my friends and I were constantly having. I, I'm not out on Alec Burks by any means. I, I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to. He's one of the reasons that this bench has been rated by many people the number one bench in the NBA. Yeah, it's awesome to have a guy who's a super ball dominant guard who can really break defenses down on his own. That's such an asset that the Jazz have. But I'm with you. I think it's going to be difficult for him to see much more than 15 to 18 minutes a game this season. And look, I mean, someone's going to get hurt at some point. I think the Jazz really don't want to play Gordon Hayward as many minutes as they did last season. They don't want to play Rodney Hood as many minutes as they did last season. So I think you'll see Alec Burks take advantage of those kind of slight shifts in how the Jazz run their rotation. And if they're going to make it deep into the playoffs this season, past the first round, I mean by deep, then they they can't have uh, Gordon and and Rodney playing that many minutes. I mean, Gordon right. developed plantar fasciitis towards the end of last season. Yep. those are things they need to consider. That's my favorite point. Um, <laughs> the pla- Gordon Gordon got plantar fasciitis at the end of the season because he he played too many minutes. Uh, Riley O'Brien asks at Riley O'Jazz, "What improvements do you expect to see out of Coach Snyder this year? Plus, how valuable is he as as head coach of this team?" I expect Quinn's improvement to be mostly. In clutch minutes, and I think that's a statistic where the Jazz struggled last mm-hmm. season, obviously. Um, but Quinn even made a mention of that on the the, the David Locke podcast. I think we're going to see him improve in the clutch minutes better, and I think just like we talked about, I think he's going to be an even better manager of minutes than he has been thus far, and he's already been really good. Yeah, I, I think he's pretty good at rotations. Um, I, I think improvements wise, I think we're going to see a little bit. I, my theory on, on Quinn is that he's been kind of holding back a little bit in the first two years of his, his coaching career. Like what he wanted to run as a head coach in the NBA when he was an assistant with Atlanta and assistant with the Spurs and assistant with the Lakers and so on and so forth. It's different than what he's been doing with the Utah Jazz because of personnel, right? Like he's running a too big system uh, that, is, that needs to generate spacing through movement. 
And I think we're going to see a lot of a, a, a different, very different Quinn Snyder offense this year when they don't have two bigs on the floor, when they're able to right. play right. Trey Lyles or Boris Diaw or play Joe Johnson or Gordon Hayward at the four positions. And we're, we'll start to see a lot more creativity out of the playbook that way for Quinn Snyder. It's almost like a college coach who needs to have his own players that he's recruited to his team, right? Yeah. To be able to fit his yeah. system. And I think, yeah, that's where we where we haven't seen that yet. Is and you know, quite frank, again, the the identity of this team is Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert as your as your front court, mm-hmm. and I think that's the strength of your team. But then you can all of a sudden start doing much more fun stuff with instead of Joe Ingles at the four, you've got Gordon Hayward or Joe Johnson, and that makes a big difference. Or Alec Burks over Chris Johnson, right, right in the backcourt, yeah, exactly. So. Uh, let's get back to this Sports Illustrated list. By the way, great questions, you guys, on Twitter. Again, if you want to chime in, too, out there, uh, tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at TH3SL3. Well cool. done. Uh, so, Rudy Gobert at 33, you think that's a little bit um, too high for him. You think, think he's he's a little bit worse of a player than that? Well, I, centers as a whole for me, again. Okay. It's just tough for me to rank a guy in the top 100, or I mean, sorry, in the top 50 if he's a center. I thought DeAndre at at 20 was, I mean, there's 30 other players behind him that I would take before DeAndre. That's just me. Okay. So. Um, Derek Favors, 28, and then Rudy, or sorry, Gordon Hayward right ahead of him at at 27th as the 27th best. That was interesting. Would you have thought that, that Hayward was in the top 25? Just yeah, I, I think cusp. I would have. You kind of look at the other players that are that are at that, and I think you can make a case that he should be in that top 25. Um, I'm thinking especially Mike Conley at 26. I think he's a better player than. Agreed. Um, and I think uh, I, I'm. you can make a case over him, him over Carmelo Anthony at this point in their careers. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe he's getting some credit for what he did during the Olympics, but just based on... Mello's season last year with the Knicks versus Me- Gordon Hayward's season last year with the Jazz. I think Hayward had the better season last I'll year. I'll take it a step forward and say you can absolutely say that that Gordon is at a place that he should be ahead of Carmel. I, look, Carmel is obviously he's he's on the decline, right? He's he's sliding down the the uh, peak mountain at yeah. this point. Yeah, you know that's fine, but it, you know, and uh, ultimately, right. like I'm arguing the difference between like Hayward is 27th and like 24th, right? Like it's not that big of a difference. I don't feel like massively disrespected, but I, you know, there's probably something right. There. I agree. Um, some of the other debates are more NBA wide. Uh, first of all, they have the the one, two, and three on this list. LeBron's the best player. Kevin Durant's number two. Steph Curry, your M- unanimous MVP, is third. Uh, I think LeBron is number one. Is still absolutely fair based on what we saw from him last season, and of course during the finals, just based on versatility and everything he can do. I'd have Steph Curry as my easy number two, though, over it, Kevin Durant. Yeah, I don't think it's close, actually. Um, Steph Curry is put up one of the best offensive seasons of all time last year, and I, I don't think Kevin Durant came close to making up that difference defensively. I'm going to go ahead and put in a shameless plug for, for Zach Harper right now. Okay. Everybody go read Zach's last piece on CBS Sports about pick-and-roll offense. It, Stephen Curry offensively is, what, did it say he's had maybe one of the, the top 10, or was it top five? I can't remember what Zach Stett was, but most efficient players ever in the pick and roll. And the NBA today is Besides pick and roll. being the best shooter of all time. Besides by the being, way. yeah, easily the best shooter of all time. I mean, why is, is Kevin Durant second because he's bigger? Is that why? 
I, I mean, yeah, and I, that's something that you have to take into account is their size, obviously, but I, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Look, I, I, we're ta- to me, we're, we're looking too much into that they lost to the Cavs after blowing the 3-1 lead last year, right? And right. yeah, Steph Curry wasn't uh, who he was for the rest of the season during the last couple of rounds of the playoffs, and maybe that's because of the injury, and maybe that's because of matchups. But if you just look at like the impacts to their team, Steph Curry is so much of what the Warriors do. do that like I, I yeah, you know, to me, if you take out, look, okay, the Warriors without Kevin Durant are a seventy-three win team. Exactly. If the Warriors without Steph Curry and with Kevin Durant, let's say, to me, are like a sixty-win team. So this is this is an interesting discussion, right? Maybe fifty-five, like right. And when we've seen, okay, KD obviously playing okay, in six. Oklahoma City, he's playing with Russ, so the focus is on him and Russ every game. That's mm-hmm. going to change for him. He's going to come to Golden State. He's going to be a more efficient player, but. Stephen Curry, as is, is the focus of every team's defense every night by himself. If you're going to say, who are we going to take away? Are we going to take away Steph? Are we going to take away Draymond? Or are we going to take away Clay? If we can choose one and we're going to take him away, you're going to choose Stephen Curry every time, right? right. If you're an opposing head coach. Um, e- even if your choice is Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. I think you're still going to choose Steph, right? Yeah. Because he's just he's the better shooter at this right. point. And, and that's undoubted. Um, I've, I've heard this out there that... The reason Durant's number two is because um, of Steph's injuries, but come on. I, I don't think his injuries will affect his play what, next But season. what about Kevin, though? Durant's had his, he's yeah. had his injury history. I mean, the when we saw Russ go on his mad dash a couple seasons ago where he was a triple-double machine, Durant was out for like 27 games. Right, and, like and more recently than Steph. He, exactly, and so, you know, Durant's going to come to Golden State his advanced stats are going to go up, at least offensively. But still, I think Steph puts far more impact on a game. Um, I'm in on both LeBron and Steph, so it's always difficult for me to say who's better because they both affect the game in so many different ways that it's hard to decide. But I think they're kind of in a class all their own yeah, at this point. I, I do too. And you know, that's not to say Kevin Durant's a bad player. He's top five. He's I'm fine with him being third. I don't think I'm fine with him being the second best player in the NBA. Mitch Florence on Twitter asks us, what do you expect from Dante Axum this year? Uh, great question. It's Shout out to my buddy Mitch. Oh, it's your, he's your buddy? We're buddies. That's, yeah. Okay, well, this, <laughs> he's also ends his Twitter handle with a three, by the way. He's flow underscore writer three. Is it, is it just, what Shout is out it to the Ryder family. The Shout out to the Ryder family. They're good friends. <laughs> so. What I expect from Dante Exum this year, I, I expect him to be the backup point guard the entire season. Um, George Hill is a really good player. I mean, what was he, 56th in this list? That's mm-hmm. that's incredible. Uh, I do think that he will have some struggles coming back from an ACL tear. I do think he will be probably a worse defender moving around as a result, but maybe not. We'll see. Uh, and I expect some progression in his offensive game. The Jazz have reworked his shot a little bit while he was out with the ACL. That was one thing they could work on was that shooting form. Um, I, so I expect a little bit better of a shooting performance. And I expect him to be a much more aggressive player on offense when he's when he gets in. Remember, he won't be playing with the starting unit as much. He'll be playing with the backups. And sure, that's still Alec Burks, Joe Johnson, but it's not Gordon Hayward, Rodney Hood. I don't think that Dante Exum is going to come in and be the world beater that everybody has kind of expected him to be. I think it's unfair to expect him to come in and be a top point guard in the league. Look, defensively, his rookie season, he was fantastic for a rookie defender. Mm -hmm. And and it's hard to come from 
Australia basketball where he was playing with kids his age to coming to the best league in the world. Um, there's still there's still a lot of room for Dante Exum to grow. Will he ever be an offensive uh, juggernaut? Probably not. But he's a, absolutely can be a defensive one. And as long as he can impact a game positively offensively, just impact it positively, yeah. then he's going to be a great player. He wasn't there his rookie season. He was clearly taking something off the And floor. I don't think he gets there this season. I think I think if we're going to see an offensive jump for him, it's going to be from his second to his third season in the NBA. See, and I think we see a jump because, you know, honestly, like, a, what was he, a 5 PER in his right. rookie year? Okay, like, right. I think he's better than that just because it's really hard to be that bad. Uh, but, like, yeah, uh, really average point guard 10 to 15 PER, like, right, we could see him put up Howell Neto numbers next year. Easy, right? Like, a so what's his stat line? Numbers? That's, a, that's a good point. What do, what do you see his stat line? I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard because you've got minute restrictions in there, but, you know, eight points, three assists per game? Yeah. I, I think he could actually Four. make a big impact rebounding, too. Quince yeah, talked about how they need, they need help rebounding from the guards, and I think Dante's shown the capability of getting in there with his size and, and length to rebound, so... All right, we got to take a break. Uh, I want to talk more about this list later on in the show, but also next segment we're going to be talking about the team off-seasons, which uh, teams during this off-season had a good one, which off-seasons we don't like. We'll go in or out on it on one of our favorite segments every week on the Salt City Hoop Show. That's next right here on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, coming back into the show with a little bit of Black Eyed Peas. Andy Larson, Stephen Lindsay joining you on the Salt City Hoops show. Uh, Thank you guys for your questions, by the way, in that first segment. Um, We had some good ones from Mitch Riley and Georgios from Greece. Uh, If you guys want to chime in again or... Anybody else at Andy B. Larson at TH3SL3 for Steve over here. Or we'll get you that changed by the us. next time I'm on. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> or you can call us 877-353-0700. Want to talk about the NBA's off seasons and we'll do uh, in or out. In fact, actually, can we do the in or out sounder? We like it. Dream trades, uniforms, and everything else the NBA can throw at us. Are you in or are you out? We'll decide now on Salt City Hoops. That was a lot of fun. All right, we got eight controversial team off-seasons to talk about um, that I want to ask you about, Steve, and, and I'll give my opinions on as well. Whether they made the team better or worse, whether you're in or out on these team off-seasons. Got it? Got it. Let's do it. Let's start with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, I think it's fair to say that, well, they did some nice things and then they did some not-so-nice things, right? We've got Rajon Rondo uh, signing with them. We've got Dwayne Wade signing with them. Robin Lopez, Jane Grant, Denzel Valentine, Paul Zipser, whoever that is. I, I'm sorry. Paul Zipser is going to change how we feel about yeah. this. <laughs> uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, sorry. So, and then we have some we have some losses as well, namely Joakim Noah, Derek Rose, and uh, am I forgetting anybody? Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol. Thank you. Mm-hmm. For me, this is a quick out. Okay, for the guys that were gone. Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, Pau Gasol, Justin Holiday. I, I think they did a great job of 
being able to offload some really pricey deals. The Derrick Rose contract was kind of an albatross around the neck for them after his play. But, it, okay, yeah. Um, he only had one year left. He only though. had one year left. I get it. But this seems to me like something where, okay, we're going to blow it up. We're going to start all over again. Well, then they bring in Dwayne Wade, which for me, it's not actually as bad of a contract as people think. No, right? it's, it's only a two two years. Deal. It's and not that bad. He's still good. He's, yeah, and he's still good. That's a good point. But you bring in Rondo, Robin Lopez. Um, look, I'm just not sure that I, I don't think Chicago's going to make the playoffs. So if that was their goal, then I personally think they failed. Yeah, so I don't think they got better. I think they got worse. Uh, they did exactly what... I don't what... like Derek Rose at all, but I think Pau Gasol leaving... Awesome player. Is He's a good player still. Uh, I like Rolo. I don't like Razan Rondo at all at this point in his career. <laughs> he just doesn't try. And I'm still out on Fred Hoiberg as, as our coach. Well, and, and Hoiberg talked about, okay, we need to be able to space the floor more. We need to be able to shoot threes. What did they add that's going to help them space the floor and shoot threes? Uh, Rondo's notoriously <laughs> stellar shooting. Yeah. Unless yeah, Rondo I, learns how to start shooting left-handed and have maybe a little bit purer of a stroke, I don't see this going anywhere. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, I am in on Spencer Dinwiddie's career, but I'm I'm out on the Bulls overall. I'm in on his Twitter career. If okay. That helps. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> almost as good, right? Yeah. Uh, Him and Brandon how- Jennings. How about the Memphis Grizzlies? So they added Chandler Parsons, Troy Daniels, Wade Baldwin the fourth in the in the first round, seventeenth pick overall. They lost Chris Anderson, Birdman, Matt Barnes, and Lance Stevenson. Remember, they also resigned Mike Conley as well. I'm, mm, I'm just kind of mm, about Memphis's offseason. I don't think the Chandler Parsons thing it didn't move the needle for me as much as it did people in Memphis. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think. Look, I like Matt Barnes a lot. I didn't. He was pretty bad last season. Um, I liked his career to that point, if you will. And actually, you know, people people get mad at who Matt Barnes is off the court, and Jazz quite frankly, on the court. Right. Yeah, but I, I think he's a really valuable player in the right circumstance, and maybe as a younger player, he's now thirty five. Chandler Parsons does everything Matt Dar- Barnes does, but a little bit better. Maybe not the defensive toughness, but uh, in terms of just being able to make outside shots and, and is a little bit more flexible offensively. I think they got better. Uh, I don't think, obviously, it's a lot of health for them. Marcus Gasol being healthy, Zach Randolph being healthy, uh, their entire team being healthy at the end of the last season. Right. So I think they'll be better than they were last season when they had a 42-40 and 40 record. I'm in overall on their offseason, though I don't think it's a, a huge step forward. And we're also underestimating the impact of having a new coach. Is David, is, is Fisdale, I mean, are you in on Fisdale? People say good things. He's a respected uh, assistant, right? I don't know any honestly enough about well, him to make a judgment of, about what he's going to be as an NBA coach at this point. We don't know what he's going to run. Right. Um, it's going to be difficult to find out, so I guess it's all kind of dependent we'll on We'll know next week. I mean, says. training camps are, are soon. Uh, Indiana Pacers, they're off. Did you say in or out on their, uh, on the Grizzlies, by the way? Uh, I'm going to have to say overall I'm out on it. Okay. Indiana Pacers, uh, they had, they had a really weird off season. I mean, so they added Al Jefferson, Jeff Teague, Thaddeus Young, Aaron Brooks, and lost George Hill, Jan Mahinmi, Solomon Hill, Jordan Hill, and <laughs> Ty Lawson. Of course, they also lost Frank Vogel and hired Nate McMillan. That, to me, might be the biggest change. That's the weirdest change. Too. Nate McMillan, <laughs> I, uh, I, 
people in Portland say goodish things about who right. Nate McMillan was, but like, but they say better things about Terry Stotts. Yeah, I, they say better. <laughs> exactly, that's a good way to put it. And I think they would say better things about Frank Vogel as well, who I think is one of the top twelve coaches in the NBA. We'll put that. We'll Absolutely. Say it safely. And you also forgot Jeremy Evans. Yeah, that's former right. Jazz they also man. acquired Jeremy Evans. Uh, I that was mostly for cap reasons, but regardless, right. wow. he's still there. I think they got worse at point guard, right? Like to me, Jeff Teague and and Monte Ellis don't make a lot of sense together. Al Jefferson, I, I don't know what he was last year. I don't know how he helps you in three years. But it's, I guess it's not a lot of money. He's a, he can be a bench scorer, I guess. Uh, Thaddeus Young, I like actually a little bit, uh, quite a lot, but I don't know if he's better than Jan Mahinmi. Uh, and you lost Solomon Hill, who was a valuable role player, and, and Jordan Hill, who wasn't, but whatever. <laughs> uh, I, I'm Overall, I'm out, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, interesting. Uh, agreed. A point guard got worse. I totally agree. Al Jefferson, I actually kind of liked it. The deal wasn't that bad. What was it, three yeah, years, 37-ish? Not that bad. Just straight up 30. 30, okay, even better. I'm totally in on Thaddeus Young. I actually think he's a lot better than Jan Mahimi. Okay. Um, so I think that's I thought that was a nice move for them. Overall, I'm in on Indiana's offseason just because I really like Thaddeus Young. I think it's going to be interesting to see what he can do on a real basketball team. Yeah. After that's coming right. from Brooklyn. So, um yeah, does it hurt to lose Jan Mahimi and, and especially I think their biggest loss were either George Hill or Solomon Hill. I think it's a toss up. Yeah, and a good coach. And a good coach. Um but I really like, you know, this isn't their offseason, but I really like uh Miles Turner. You gotta love Paul George. I, overall, I'm I'm in on Indiana's off season okay. and their season this season. Okay, I'm out. It, it depends on depends on Nate McMillan though. Yeah, for me, that's fair. Uh, we gotta go start going a little bit quicker through these because you know just because we're only through three and we have eight left or five left to go. What do you make of Portland's off season? Um, I'm just checking into it. I know I'm not helping. So they signed no, right they now. signed Evan Turner. Uh, they no longer have uh, Gerald Henderson and Brian Roberts. They do also. They also signed Festus Azili from the Warriors, uh, and they re-signed Alan Crabb, Myers Leonard, and Mo Harkless. How um, would you be Mo Harkless? <laughs> I'm in. I I, I like. Yeah? yeah, I'm in. I like Alan Crabb. It sucks to lose Gerald Henderson. I actually really liked him. I wanted the Jazz to pick him up. Who do you think is better, Gerald Henderson or Evan Turner? It's probably Evan Turner, but barely, and I don't like watching him. Yeah, and he's ball dominant too, right? Yeah. So that's <sighs> going to be difficult with with CJ and and. And Dave, you know what? You might have just swayed me on the Evan Turner. I'm thing. out. That's the flip flop. I'm, I'm out on the Blazers too. just because I'm out on Evan Turner, which is such a bummer because I loved him coming out of college. But yeah, I'm out on Festus too, just for the record. Yeah, no, I mean he's a defensive center, and you hate those. So, well, no, don't go that far. <laughs> okay, don't go that far. Uh, how about Atlanta's off season? They had a fun one, right? I mean, they lose. Uh, I'm totally Al out Horford. on Atlanta's offseason. <laughs> totally, 100. percent I was about to tell you what they did, and you don't even you don't even care. No, I, I know what they did. I'm I'm looking at it right now, and it's like they lose Al Horford. They gain Dwight Howard, which they, is like the worst. They lose Jeff Teague, but they gain Jared Jack. Yeah, I I'm out. I like on Kent it. Bazemore, but I'm out. Yeah, I mean Kent Bazemore is good, and I think that's a good signing for them. I like Chris Confries for one year, four million dollars. I think he's a better player than that. Um, and I like Mus- Mike Muscala a little bit. So like the guys they kept, cool. But uh, Al Horford's better than Dwight Howard. I'm kind of curious to see how Dwight Howard does, but I don't think he'll be better than Al Horford this season. And then Jeff Teague, I'm concerned about the Dennis Schroeder future of the Utah- of the Atlanta Hawks. Luckily, not the Utah Jazz. Atlanta should have drafted Jonte Murray, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Torian Prince was a weird. Torian Prince was a super weird pick so 
How about the Dallas Mavericks? Uh, first of all, they lost. They okay, let's start with uh, who they got. They got Harrison Barnes. They lost uh, Zaza Pachulia, so that was kind of a trade. And then they got Andrew Bogut from the Warriors. Lost Chandler Parsons. Lost David Lee, lost Ray Felton, who actually played a big role for them, and the aforementioned Jeremy Evans we've talked about twice. Uh, yeah, what do you make of their offseason? I think this one's pretty easy. Uh, I'm out on it just because. See, yep. I don't know if it is easy. Like, uh, where's the gap between Chandler Parsons and Harrison Barnes for you? How big uh, is it? As, is, as in who's better? Yeah, Chandler Parsons. By a little bit? I would say Chandler Parsons barely. Yeah, I agree. Uh, He hasn't shown me enough to say that he's definitely 100% better than Harrison Barnes. I'm out because you struck out on guys you wanted. You wanted Mike Conley, couldn't get him. Hassan Whiteside, you couldn't get him. You lost Chandler Parsons, okay. I actually think Bogut's going to be a nice addition for them. Zaza, I actually liked Zaza too, but... Bogut's Bogut's better than Zaza Pachulia. Agreed. Bogut's better. (laughs) Seth Curry, not moving the needle for me like Steph does. See, I I think we we looked at... uh, To me, I think their offseason looked a lot better after the Olympics with how well Andrew Bogut played for Australia. And you kind of get an idea that he was a different player in Golden State because that's who they needed. I think Dallas will need a different set of skills that I think Andrew Bogut will be able to present uh, that maybe Zaza Pachulia wasn't. Which ultimately is so cool, right? That Andrew Bogut will go into a team and just say, hey, I'm here to do what you need, and he's going to do it well. And so that's that's kind of, for me, the only bright spot. I don't, I'm out on Harrison Barnes. Um, so. All right, two more real quick, uh, and they're big ones. The, the New York Knickerbockers. Uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, <laughs> got to find them in this list here real quick. But it's, I, I don't like it at all. Okay, so it's Derek Rose is in, Joakim Noah, Justin Holiday, Courtney Lee, Brandon Jennings, and Willie Hernan Gomez. Yes, Hernan Gomez. And who they lost is Aaron Aflalo, Jose Calderon, Langston Galloway, Jerry and Grant, and Rolo. And uh, Lopez. Derek Williams as well. And Derek Williams. So, yeah. I, look, the guys they lost are not good players, right? Like, Derek Williams was is fine at best, but... Uh, Aaron Oflalo wasn't good last season, and he's at the, on the downslope of his career. Uh, Robin Lopez is is fine, but Joakim yeah. Noah, Derek Rose are not difference makers as well. Honestly, I think maybe their best signing was getting Brandon Jennings for one year and five That's million dollars. That's a stellar deal. And Courtney Lee, who's a nice role player, four years, forty eight. I think those are two good moves. But it, giving so much money to Noah and then trading for Derek Rose means that it's hard for me to see this team succeeding on on really any level beyond being like the ninth seed in the playoffs, which, oh, wait, shoot, that doesn't yeah. exist. Oh, oh, oh wait. Uh, New York is like Chicago East. At the <laughs> yeah, end of the day, who's going to... Who's really going to shoot the ball? Kristaps? I mean, I actually am really yeah, down should, with Kristaps. Yeah, he should, but now Noah's but, taking his yeah. best position at the center spot. Exactly. He totally... The the point for me with New York this season was, let's get Kristaps Porzingis at the stretch five yeah. and, and let him destroy opposing centers if he can. I don't get how Phil Jackson doesn't get this, or really anyone who's coached the Knicks is, and maybe Jeff Hornacek will change this in his rotations, but just in terms of personnel, what you want is Porzingis at the five... Mellow at the four, and then you've got some nice things. You've got like Courtney Lee, Brandon Jennings, and I, I, you've got some nice things to work with. You do, and Mellow, you and, just play them in the right spots. Mellow and KP at the four five. That's a really nice combo, and at they least don't do it. At least I, I think even defensively, Mellow still boards. Yeah. KP has shown signs that he can protect the rim. 
Okay. I don't know what the advanced stats really say about that, but you know, nylon calculus could tell us. So, <laughs> all right, really quick, uh, the Orlando offseason—they changed their team probably more than anyone in the league. And Zach Lowe had a great piece on them that I encourage you to check out. They added Bismack Biombo, Jeff Green, DJ Augustine, Serge Ibaka in that trade, Jordy Meeks, and Steven Zimmerman, uh, and hired Frank Vogel. They lost Oladipo, Ursan Ilyasova, Shabazz Napier, uh, a- Andrew Nicholson, Jason Smith, Dwayne Dedman, and Brandon Jennings. So uh, they also re-signed Evan Fournier. Look, I don't, I don't get what they're doing. Like what? Uh, no. In my mind, they both capped their future. Again, it's a little bit of young guys playing out of position. Now Aaron Gordon has to play the three. I don't know that that works for him. Uh, and then you're just giving a lot of money to like Bismack Biombo. Um, how does Biombo, Ibaka, Aaron Gordon work as a thing? Jeff Green for fifteen million dollars, even for just one season, <laughs> yeah, one is season. a lot of money to give to Jeff Green. I like Frank Vogel, and I don't like uh, you know I'm, I like Frank Vogel more than I like Scott Skiles, but I don't I yeah. don't like what the Magic did. Let me I'm just out. throw this out there: uh, Aaron Green playing the three? No, thank you. Uh, Aaron Gordon. Or Aaron Gordon, yeah. Or Jeff Green. Yeah, (laughs) either way, either way. But Aaron Gordon playing the three, no. No, I'm not interested. Bismack and Serge, why did you need both of them? Right. Uh, Didn't make sense. But I will say this. I really like Frank Vogel. I think he's awesome. I I really like Evan Fournier. Um, It sucks that they lost Victor Oladipo. Do you think they're a playoff team next year? No. Just just looking at the construction of the lineup, yeah, I just don't see it. Yeah, I agree. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, I want to get your favorite jazz lineup. I wrote about this last week for KSL.com about my favorite jazz lineups. I want to get yours as well next uh, next segment. So that's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, howdy, everyone. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Stephen Lindsay with you. You got a question. I didn't. I'm a little bit offended. Make sure you tag me in your questions, people, <laughs> at Andy B. Larson. You're at TH3SL3. You got a question about lineups. Uh, what was it, and who is it from? This comes from Jazz Fever. Thanks, Jazz Fever. It says, Jazz down four with Still one offended. minute. Which five do you put on the floor? Which five do you put on the floor? Luckily, I answered that question last week in my article for KSL.com. I gave my favorite five lineups to use with the Utah Jazz with a bunch of different themes, like the lineup, the best defensive lineup possible, which I called the lineup of long arms. One of them was exactly that situation, the need-a-basket-now lineup. And I put out Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Joe Johnson at the four, and Derek Favors. It's every, you've, got a bat, you've got a lot of spacing with that lineup. You've got kind of a four-out, one-in set. You've got Derek Favors to set screens for you. You've got Alec Burks, who, as we know, is a great scorer, can get to the line, uh, great at penetration, which I think that lineup needs. And then you've got some nice pick-and-roll players there, too. Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, and Joe Johnson, the guy we all know as ISO Joe and was so successful at that for his entire career and still was a 90th percentile uh, isolation player last season. He I was think, awesome with Miami. I think that's really a, a, one of the better clutch scoring lineups in the league, if used correctly. I'm just going to go with my favorite lineup. I got George Hill, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Trey Lyles, and Derek Favors. I like it offensively. I like it defensively. I like George Hill because he's good on the ball and off the ball. And Hood and Hayward, you can basically say the same thing. 
Trey, go ahead. It's funny. Like I, I almost wanted to put George Hill on all of my lineups because I think he's just he's, so versatile in what he does. That he really is. He never takes anything off of the floor. He's great both sides of the floor, right? And then Trey Lyles, I think he's going to hopefully have a jump this year. And Favors, I know we kind of disagree on this, Andy, but Favors is my perfect small ball center. See, that's like I, I struggle with that a little bit because I do think he isn't a great rim protector. You know, obviously not as good as Rudy Gobert. I don't think you'd disagree with that. I would, I would agree but I also that. think you look at who the Jazz were in the Ty Corbin years when and Derek Favors was playing pretty exclusively close to the basket. And I think the Jazz were very bad. Now, obviously, that was also Enes Kanter time. And, uh, no, we don't that, need to go into that. Yeah, that may have uh, skewed the results a little bit. But I, I don't see great things from Derek Favors as, as a center. I like him a lot better at the four. Well, look, you got to remember, Favors was young. During that time, Tyrone Corbin was the coach. Sorry, yep. I, I love you, Ty, but I'm, I'm out on, on at you as a head coach. That's fair. Uh, I, I think Trey Lyles is maybe the maybe the most intriguing part of this lineup just for his shooting. But that, um, That's fair. Anyway. All, right. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to share some things we learned from a Quinn Center interview uh, as well as talk about Rodney Hood and whether or not he'll make a third-year leap. That's next on the Salt City Doop Show, ESPN 700. Listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. I just wanted the music to drop there before we we brought it back in. Uh, Andy Larson, Stephen Lindsay joining you on today's Salt City Hoops show. Uh, back, he's subbing for Zach Harper, who's out of town. Bummer that we don't get Zach, but it's great to have Steven in, in the studio with us. As always, we welcome your tweets, comments, concerns, calls, etc. At Andy B. Larson, at TH3SL3 for Steve over here. And you can always call us 877-353-0700. I personally am also excited for the second hour of the show because pizza is coming. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry. It's going to be great. Anyway, I... I Wanted to talk about this Quinn Snyder interview that was that was released yesterday. Uh, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, did these podcasts and had a 25-minute conversation with uh, Quinn Snyder and kind of what he's thinking about going into this season. And there are four-ish quotes that I wanted to kind of look at and kind of get an idea of what Quinn Snyder's where Quinn Snyder is mentally going into the season, what he's thinking about with kind of a new and different roster, and and also where he is in relation to some of the NBA's changes. So uh, I've got these quotes. Let's go ahead and play the first one, and uh, we'll talk about it after. But our possessions after misses looked a lot like our possessions after makes. And when we started to go back and look at, you know, on makes, misses, you know, free throws, whatever, when did we shoot the ball? Um, you get a better idea um, of if you want to how, how you want to coach that if you want to coach it differently, um, and and it's lineup specific too. So you start again, say, hey, we didn't do this well. Well, we didn't do it well when these guys were in the game, or we did it well when these guys were in the game. So that there's a lot there. Yeah, there is a lot there. I mean, I think. This is where the Jazz were different last year. Than most teams do very different things after misses compared to makes. You know, they the Jazz uh, they run what's called a flow offense rather than a set play after a miss, just to right. try to take advantage of a defense that's that's not set and get a shot earlier in the shot clock, which those usually tend to be the more efficient shots. 
Last year, the Jazz didn't do that. Even after misses, they kind of brought the ball up pretty slowly and uh, kind of ran their motion-based offense in the same way that they would after made shots. And that's unusual for teams and why we saw them the slowest-paced team in the league last year. Does that worry you at all? Do you want to see that change? I mean, what's your point of view on that, Steve? Obviously, I'd like to see a change. I think it's more effective to be able to get, like you said, more efficient shots early in the clock. But one thing that wasn't in there that I, I really liked that Quinn might have said, I think it was a little early on in the podcast, he said, it's not so much being more efficient from 24 to 18 mm-hmm. seconds on the shot clock. It's more efficient from 18 to 12. And I think a lot of people's problems most of the time with Gordon Hayward or Rodney Hood is, oh, you know, they don't they don't make big shots and this and that. Well, when you're getting the ball to, in your hands, you catch it with five seconds left on the clock, like happened so many times last season. How much can you really be expected to do? How, how can you be expected right. to be fantastic play after play? Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. Uh, and ultimately, maybe having, I think, first of all, having a point guard who will push it. George Hill is actually pretty adept at pushing the ball. is going to be a big thing. Howell Neto, obviously, was learning the NBA last year. Uh, Trey Burke is a really slow transition point guard and obviously no longer is on the team. I think that'll help that a lot, and so they, it will look very different when when the Jazz get the ball after a miss next year. I'm not saying they won't still be a slow team. I think they still will be. Just the NBA has sped up so much, and, and basically nearly every team is running after these sort of missed shots. Um, but I think they'll be better at that and, and more adept at getting open looks on those sort of things. That being said, maybe there's not... You know, maybe pace isn't the best thing in the world. Let's hear this quote. There, there's no correlation between pace and efficiency. So, you can be a very good offensive team, incredibly efficient, and play slow. You know, one one of the interesting things that, that uh, one of the guys came up that, is it the 1996 Jazz, like the epically, you know, historic, one of the great teams in the NBA. You know, uh, were 17th in the league in pace that year and would have been last in the league in pace where they play in this year. So so a team that where we never even talked about pace that was a great team, number one offensive team in the league by a lot. And if they had they played today, they would have been considered a, a slow-paced team. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, the NBA just has changed so much, but you can still be uh, such an effective team while being a slow-paced team. And I think, honestly, you know, the Jazz were a decent c- case study there, right? Like, they were the worst... I, I, shouldn't say worse they were the slowest team last year in terms of pace but they were middle of the road in terms of offensive efficiency they were 15th in the league so how do you deal with that you know like if if pace is so helpful for for efficiency and quite frankly the jazz don't have like offensive superstars right they were still able to put together a pretty decent offense despite not having maybe that top level player or having the pace that should lead to those efficient shots. Oh, they were, and I think the additions of George Hill and Joe Johnson and, and really Boris Diaw, especially out of the three guys, is going to help because you need guys who are able to shoot when you run a mm-hmm. slower offense, guys who can space the floor and open up. It's funny because Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw are not fast guys at this point in no. their career, right? Like Boris Diaw is famously fat and <laughs> Joe Johnson is famously old, right? Like we, we know who those guys are. But I think Quinn's point of like with the Warriors, them getting an open three at the beginning of a possession is a great shot for them. Yep. For the Jazz, it's not really because of the way they don't have that kind of shooting quality. Boris Diaw has that kind of shooting quality. Joe Johnson has that kind of shooting quality. And frankly, George Hill has that kind of shooting quality that uh, the Jazz of point guards didn't have last year. To assess the football analogy one more time, the Jazz seem best when 
they kind of get into that pound it motion, not necessarily where they're scoring baskets down low the whole time, but where their sets are effective play after play, almost like a running back gashing the defense for five to six yards. I think that's where the Jazz live. I think Quinn probably wants to speed up a little bit, but I think for the most part, they're going to continue to maintain that identity of we've got bigs who can score on you. We've got smalls that can score on you. But you know what? We're just we're going to run our stuff and, and try and be efficient that way. Yeah. Let's play this next quote. The key component of that when is really, it's not to me that you don't have a position on offense. It's that you can guard every position on defense. So it's you can play positionless if you can match up with one through five. So when when if you have someone that's able to guard a center, you know, then you can do whatever you want offensively with that player. It's just usually that that person to guard the center is a center, like a big guy. And we think of that, and, and you know, and maybe not the same skill level offensively. If you you know, if you have if Magic Johnson, the Lakers played positionless basketball when Magic Johnson was their center. You know, he just happened to be the point guard the other way, but because he could guard the center you could surround him with other players. That's what Draymond Green does for Golden State. That's what allows them to be more positionless. And Iguodala and, and Livingston, of course. Yeah, I, I think that was interesting. It was kind of asked how this positionless uh, change in, in the NBA is is changing how he affects what he wants to do as a coach. And, you know, obviously the Golden State Warriors are at the forefront of that. But you look at all, all around the league, all of a sudden, you know, maybe positions don't matter. Teams are definitely playing smaller lineups. Uh, and I thought it was interesting just kind of how he thought of that and how we should think of that next season is is it's not how many positions can you play offensively, it's how many positions you can guard defensively. And the Jazz have a lot of guys who can guard a lot of positions. You know, George Hill can probably guard one through two, maybe one through three because he has a 6'9 yeah. wingspan. Uh, obviously, Derek Favors can probably go, uh, you know, you don't want this all the time, but you can go two through five for him, right? You yeah, know. he can switch twos and threes every now and again. Yeah, uh, and certainly like guys like Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Joe Johnson, Joe Ingles, Alec Burks, those guys can hang with the majority of guys in the league who aren't you know, big hulking centers or super fast Anybody ones, that's not right? boogie, right? Right, anyone that's not boogie or Russell Westbrook, kind mm-hmm. of the, the in-between 75% of the NBA, if you will. So the Jazz have a lot of players who can guard every player on defense, and, and that's you can kind of get an idea of their acquisition strategy that way, too. I mean, maybe with the exception of Boris Diaw, who may have a kind of limited range, but then, and again, he was a shooting guard at the beginning of his career, so uh, maybe that's not fair to say about Boris. He can guard fives. I think that's Certainly. an underrated part of, of Boris. He's more of kind of that four to really fat three range. I think he plays more center than he does power forward. I agree. I totally agree. You know, I, there's not very much I can add to what you already said really well, except for just the fact that Quinn thinks about these things. The guy's mind never stops. He's super impressive to me in that way. And that he, you know, he's comparing Draymond to Magic and, you know, he he's constantly thinking basketball. He's constantly writing plays on his wall, like he talked about in the podcast. Uh, so I can't add much more. Well said. <laughs> Thanks. All right. I also really liked his music analogy near the end of the podcast. So it's just, uh, let's go ahead and hear it. You can have the music, you know, and, and see the notes written out, but to be able to actually play the song is, is different. And, and for all of us coaches, sometimes it, you know, you help write the music, you borrow it, you know, and you, you teach it. But, you know, players can make 
the worst plays look good. <laughs> and uh, if you don't execute or you simply just miss a shot, no one remembers the play. It could be well-crafted, well-executed. You know, I'd rather have a bad play and have a guy make a shot, and um, that makes you a better coach. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's interesting. This, you know, Look, you can create whatever cool plays you want. You can draw the best play out on the on the board. You can be a composer that writes a fantastic piece of music, but if you give it to my little sister, she's not going to do mm-hmm. great at anything, at playing the music. I don't even have a little sister. That I just I made know, up that's, that I was kind of confused. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so I... I, I just think that's that's a really interesting analogy, and I think he kind of looks at what players can do for a play rather than what the best play is. Again, we we talked about it early on in the show, but I, I think Quinn Snyder's ideal offense is pretty far away from what he runs with the Utah Jazz, or at least has for the last two seasons. Uh, he had, in other words, the music that would work with another different team, but not work with his set of tuba players, if you will, and, and Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. Now right. he's got the, the woodwinds, the yeah. flutes and the clarinets that he can, I don't know, make beautiful music with. Was that, was that going too far? Was that taking it uh, well, a step too I'm far? Gonna, I'm going to try and, you know, maybe get away from Hold the beautiful back. woodwinds here. Oh, but... see, I was a clarinet player to oh, the surprise okay. of nobody. So, uh, yeah. I'm, Andy, I'm, let me I'm ask biased. you this. Does, does that, comment almost scream point guards to you and that now the jazz have guys who are going to be taking the bulk of the minutes who can like you said when george hill when a play breaks down and it's not going to run the way it's supposed to you have a guy who can get himself open and get other guys open Mm -hmm. and get him the ball gordon hayward's never played with since darren at least a qualified really good point guard yeah, that's. I, I think that's fair to say. I, I honestly see it more as uh, shooting and then also offensive IQ, right? So I Boris. think, mm-hmm. yeah, with, with with especially Boris Diaw. Although Joe Johnson is a smart player uh, with the ball, I think he showed that especially at, at the end of his season with Miami last year. And then of course George Hill, I think, is making better decisions generally than again rookie Howell Neto, uh, really backup third string point guard. Shelvin Mack pressed into a starting role, or Trey Burke, who I, I don't really like the decisions of. The hopeless in Matador, as he was called by CBS Sports. Ooh, this week, ouch. So. Uh, regardless, <laughs> I didn't say it. Don't come at me, Trey, or Trey's parents. Uh, I, I think that's kind of where you see the having that symphony that can play beautiful music together, having that knowledge of, of a system, and then just being able to take advantage of the shots at the end that the, that the play gets for you and the jazz are going to improve the season musically if we're going to continue that analogy <laughs> they're going to improve because they've they've been together you know a lot of these guys yeah. have played together there's a, a large level of experience playing together and chemistry is as we all know from playing you know youth basketball and playing with your buddies on the playground when you have chemistry on a team everybody feels it you're just better I always messed up my team's chemistry. I, it's well, ball you know, dominant. you're kind of ball dominant. Yeah, you're ball dominant. You're a little bit Kyrie-ish. In the, <laughs> you know, if you guys lost, then nobody wanted to be on Andy's team because they weren't playing for an hour. Yeah, either, I mean, so. if, if I got a lot of minutes, it wasn't a good sign for my junior jazz team. I'll put it that way. Uh, let's move on to this <laughs> this Rodney Hood article that was written by Spencer Wixom over on SaltCityHoops.com. Again, that's our website, saltcityhoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Um, oh, and before I move on, thanks again to David Locke for doing that interview with Quinn Snyder, putting it up online. Check out his uh, podcast, Locked On Jazz and Locked On NBA. Okay, 
So also check out saltcityhoops.com where we've got Spencer Wixom writing this Rodney Hood and the third year leap article talking about whether or not it's fair to ask a, a big leap of Rodney Hood offensively next season. So obviously next year is Rodney Hood's third year since being drafted, third year in the league. And a lot of people talk about what that represents, what that means for a player going into his third year. And we see a lot of players making a third year leap, you know, becoming really excellent elite players in the third year of their career. Spencer wanted to find out whether or not that was like a real thing or if that was just something people said. So he actually looked at. I looked at all the guards who started at least 60 games. So, in other words, kind of players who are about as good as Rodney Hood, players who are playing significant minutes starting games in their second seasons, and then uh, were also guards, and then looked at how they did in their third seasons. Turns out there were about 34 players who were both 24 years old entering their third year and started 60 games. So, basically, players like Rodney Hood. And... Uh, he looked at and found that basically the the stats go up, but they go up very little. I don't know if you have these numbers in front of you, Stephen, but the points per game went up only 0.82 points per game. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's maybe not the the leap people would have expected. The the minutes per game go up point just a half a minute per game. So it's not like they're taking a big leap in terms of the minutes played. Assists per game only 0.16. Like I, I think people would be kind of disappointed if Rodney took these average leaps that it's fair to expect from a second-year player becoming a third-year player. Yeah, and an interesting stat was that three-point percentage goes down a full percent and almost a half, right? I, yeah. You would hope that that doesn't happen for Rodney. But it might. I mean, maybe just taking more shots when you look at kind of these advanced statistics and look at, like, the usage percentage, that goes up nearly a full percent. Uh Maybe that's what starts to hurt is you start needing to take more shots and, and maybe missing more on the uh, on the outside. Uh, on the other hand, maybe teams give you more respect on the perimeter and so guard you a little bit closer uh, at, at the line. That might be a real thing too. I think the biggest thing we find though is that it's just not that big of a leap on average. Yeah, I think, I mean, the best of all time, uh, Spencer wrote this, is Dwayne Wade with... In, in terms of advanced stats, right? Yeah. Basic, basic plus minus and, and win shares went up 3.1 and 2.2 respectively. So that's what I think is really interesting is like, okay, so you've got the average of all 34 guards and 17 of those, so exactly half, actually did increase their box plus minus and their value over replacement player, right? These Basically, they got better. Half got better, half stayed about the, or and half either stayed the same or worse. Right, right. But the players that did make a jump turn out to be some of the best players in in history. The guys we all know, like Dwayne Wade, had the biggest jump there. That third year was his NBA uh, finals, finals and, and title season, right? Where yep. I mean, you you've told me about his season that season a lot, just how good he was in the finals and what and what ESPN called the greatest finals performance of all time. Yeah, that was Kevin Pelton, right? Yeah, it was. I think it was Kevin. Uh, uh, then you look at who else is on this list, guys like Penny Hardaway, Brandon Roy, Reggie Miller, Damian Lillard, uh, Vince Carter, Gary Payton, Terry Porter, Joe Dumars. I mean, these are like Hall the of immortal fame. Hersey Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, also Hersey Hawkins. Yeah. Like guys who are on this list who make these big leaps offensively. It seems like if that is the step that you take, then you are a Hall of Fame level player that you know Jazz fans can be really excited about. If he does only take a small leap, then that's kind of who he is, right? At that point, you're 24. You don't have a whole lot of improvement time left. And here's the key for for Jazz fans expecting uh, a bump or a raise for uh, 
for Rodney this year. Spencer wrote this. I, I, I like this part. He said the key to this jump for Miller was his usage went up. Hmm. So, so Reggie Miller is who Reggie. You're sorry, about Reggie that. Miller. Yeah, thanks, Andy. But his usage went up, you know, five percent in, in Reggie Miller's case, and or went up nineteen percent. Um, and for Hood, he'd have to take three more shots a game. Does Rodney Hood get three more shots a game playing with Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw uh, and George, George Hill, Hill instead of Howell Neto, right? Like, I can't I, imagine him taking more shots next season. Can you? It seemed like he already took a lot of shots last season, didn't he? Especially late game. It seemed like they really wanted to get him the ball. Yes. Um, let's look up. So his usage percentage last year was 21.5. So he's already taking that number of shots. If he jumped that much, he'd be at like the 25, 26 range, which is really, really rare for a shooting guard in the NBA. You know, have, you have to be like, maybe not James Harden, but you have to be like nearly there in order to get that many shots. DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. That and, area. Uh-huh. And I, I just don't see Rodney Hood getting that much of the of the ball when you've got a team like you like you said george hill uh gordon hayward Derek favors obviously trey lyles i mean so many more offensively skilled players that are going to be getting open shots and so much for rodney depends on how gordon plays i think too because if gordon could come in and maybe make that jump to where he's at 21 or 22 points a game this season then defense which i don't expect either i don't either i think if he scores 20 points a game it's a good season for him Um, was that 19.7 last year 19.7 yep and he's made a bump he's jumped up every year for what the last six seasons or something yeah since he started his career so um yeah he's one of very few players to do that uh i think for rodney the key is gonna hinge on can he actually get that many more shots i don't think so yeah i i also i don't think so and i so i don't think he makes that big leap Maybe he has to make that leap in terms of uh, the other parts of block, uh, box score plus minus or VORP and, and make a bigger mm-hmm. difference on the defensive end and, and rebounding. I, I don't think he was the best rebounder for his position last year. I mean, he, he only averaged 3.8 rebounds per 36 minutes. That's that's not great. Maybe he has to make more in a, a, of an impact with passing the ball. Again, only three assists per 36 minutes. The really elite guys yeah. do a little bit better with those, and, and maybe that goes back to the Jazz's performance in the clutch as well. And and Rodney doesn't get to the free throw line like a typical twenty five ish percent usage shooting guard, does he? I mean, no. it hasn't been his strong suit getting to the line. And I think to expect a jump, you've got to be able to get to the line more efficiently. And, and I'm sure they'll talk about things like that. But that, that's another reason I don't see Rodney taking this massive leap. See, and I I think maybe that is one way he could is all of a sudden by getting to the line yeah. being more efficient. Maybe instead of taking more shots, he's just getting more free throws and that's that's the answer there obviously that still counts as as usage but those are really good possessions for the jazz uh yeah i ultimately i think most likely is a uh, about the same player that we saw last season which is which is good but you know maybe i i think it's fair to keep expectations low so is this the player he is for the rest of his career no, like I, I, I think he'll evolve, but in in the end, he's also got kind of old player skills in terms of being able to score really efficiently from mid range and outside. Uh, I, he's not like the most athletic guy in terms of finishing around the rim. His jump shot height is actually really incredible, but yeah. uh, I think he's got, like I said, room to improve in in kind of the secondary skills, assists, rebounds, defense. I don't know if he becomes a better score maybe i mean i could see him getting a bigger role on a team but i i don't know that he changes fundamentally who he is at the end of i was like maybe i'm wrong yeah at the end of a career what are we going to say about a guy and i think rodney hood 
fans may disagree with me, but I think Rodney Hood is really comparable to how a young Joe Johnson was back okay. in the day. But that's a great outcome. I mean, the guy made seven all-star teams. I'm t- I'm not saying that's a bad outcome. That's awesome. I, he reminds me of Joe and earlier in his career, uh, very mid-range, yeah. very outside-ish kind of shots. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think Rodney's going to have to be able to get to the line, maybe take some better shots, which is going to be hard because he was already pretty efficient for a second-year player. So. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, that getting to the line is how he gets more efficient shots. He was, remember, 85th in the Sports Illustrated Top 100 poll. Uh, and I, I think I will project that he has a higher ranking next year because pe- wow, more people will okay. notice the Jazz, so yeah. a, a better player. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it will reflect that much better of play on the court. If that, uh, you know, as as more attention, as more people like the Jazz, as the Jazz get better, more people come to understand what Rodney Hood is all about. And I think he'll be about the same. Guys exactly, last it's year. about exposure, and the Jazz are going to be on national TV more this season. Yep. More guys are going to get noticed. Yeah. Yep. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we'll do around the NBA, talking about all the latest news and notes from around the National Basketball Association. That's next right here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. We're scanning the league from coast to coast. This is Around the NBA on Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Stephen Lindsay, with you. Uh, we're going around the NBA as we do this time every week. We've got a little, we've got a lot of like rules, kind of like weird lawsuits and stuff this week. So uh, not a whole lot of actual, you know, fun news. But oh well, we've got a couple of questions from you guys, so we'll we'll fill the around the NBA segment with that at the end of the of the last few minutes here. Uh, but first, let's get into these these news stories. This NCAA lawsuit is really interesting. Basically, there's this active lawsuit that could really ruin the NCAA's transfer eligibility rules. Remember, in order to transfer as a collegiate player, you have to give up one year of eligibility. That way, you know, guys can't just transfer from college to college whenever they want. But this lawsuit says that they should be able to do it. College coaches are a little bit worried about that because I, a little bit worried, I should say, very worried about that. They're, they're aghast. That, at this idea that uh, transfers could just transfer from school to school without any consequences and kind of create what they, they call a college-free agency. On the other hand, shouldn't little kids be able to get to go to school where they want? And if they can get into those schools, isn't that cool too? Like, that's kind of where I'm at. The rules never made sense to me from the beginning. I think there needs to be parameters, as in you can't leave a team in the middle of the season and just go start playing at a rival. And obviously there, there will be. Um, but... If a guy needs to transfer in the offseason for whatever reason, shouldn't he be able to? And, and Jay yeah. Billis is big on this. Jalen Rose, they're huge proponents of letting guys be, letting them do their thing. Yeah, if, if they're academic reasons or if they're sports reasons, why not be able to let guys do what they want? I mean, so many of these athletes are not going to be going pro, right? So being able to maximize their time in playing college sports may be the best way to go. Like, I mean, to use a football example, Kylie Fitz, how, how many collegiate snaps as he had because of the transfer from UCLA and then the injuries. He just hasn't had the career to... He's played one year and five, basically, since yeah. he's been in. So it's, uh, it's too bad. Yeah, I no, I agree. So uh, next one, actually, another lawsuit one. We've got uh, North Carolina's pro-discrimination law, uh, known as HB2, sometimes known as the bathroom bill. 
already cost the state the, the 2017 NBA All-Star Game. Now the NCAA has also yanked its tournament games out of North Carolina. They were going to be played to Charlotte as well uh, due to the loss. So a little bit interesting. Um, so, oh, sorry, that those games were in Greensboro, not Charlotte. It will also cost the state some soccer, um, lacrosse, tennis, and golf championships with the NCAA. But it's just another organization pulling their things out of North Carolina. Yeah. To be honest, um, I don't really have a take on this. Andy. No hot I mean, take. I, I don't have a Steve, hot take. I, I count on you. I, I don't have a hot take for this. Here, I, here's my hot take. Uh, I think these sort of actions are really starting to send a message. We heard the gov- uh, the sponsor of this bill in North Carolina start to say, okay, now you know maybe we, we've gone too far and we need to make some changes. I think that that's exactly the statement that these leagues are trying to send. It's hurting the state. Um you know, There's, I think this affects the Big 12 a lot, you know, uh, kind of off the hmm. topic. I think this affects Big 12 and expansion, and I think this affects BYU, uh, to throw that in there. Um, it, you've you've just got to be smart when it comes to social issues yeah. nowadays. No, I, I think that's absolutely the case. Uh, the NBA tacked 10 more games onto Mitch McGarry's five-game drug suspension. doesn't look like he actually then took more drugs after being suspended. It looks like he didn't show up to an additional test or uh, the the rehab program as he should, so he kind of automatically got on, tacked on this 10-game additional suspension. So now it's a 15-game suspension. The problem is one more slip-up for Mitch, and he the Thunder have a right to waive him, which actually I think they'd like to do given <laughs> the number of bigs they have on their roster. I mean, Mitch McGarry... He could be losing his NBA guaranteed contract as a result. I mean, Mitch McGarry, absolutely vital to the Thunder's chances this season, right? He is not, uh, but I, it's... Uh, <laughs> um, no, let's get Stephen A. on here, Mitch right? Let's get Stephen A. Smith income, on here. It's probably a good thing for him to uh, continue making money. You're right. Let's get Stephen A. on here, though, and just be smart. Be smart. What's but... your middle initial? W. Not Stephen A? No. Okay. No, I we, wish. We won't call you that. Yeah. Uh, the Pelicans signed Lance Stevenson earlier this week. It turns out $100,000 is it guaranteed out of a $1.2 million deal. Remember, this is a guy who two years ago when Gordon Hayward and Lance Stevenson were free agents at the same time, <laughs> people were saying they should have got about the same amount of money. Uh, heck, I was a pro Lance Stevenson guy, and I have been proven wrong. He's, he's not that good. Although... Honestly, he's better than $100,000 guaranteed. Like that's that's about what Quincy Ford got. I'm still Lance Steven pro Lance Stevenson. I think the perfect team, okay, I'm I'm going to really strive to stay on topic here. But the perfect <laughs> team for Lance Stevenson for me is the Portland Trailblazers. Okay. I think Terry Stotts could really use could turn Lance back into kind of the offensive guy that he was at Indiana. Well, part of Lance's problem is Lance blowing in sure. dudes' ears and, but, <laughs> and this and that. I, I look, I get it, but I would totally take a flyer on this guy at a hundred thousand yeah. dollars guaranteed. You're absolutely right. Do you take a flyer if like he's your your bad egg? Like, do you want to deal with the rest of who Lance is if if you're an NBA general? So manager? I'm not in I'm not in NBA locker rooms. I don't know if if Lance affects the locker room, his own team. Mm. It, as long as he doesn't affect his own team, then I'm absolutely taking a risk on him. Okay. I, I don't know what he's like with his team, but I think there's so much potential there. And like a guy doesn't just play really well like he did at Indiana and then overnight he's the worst player in the league. And you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I, I'm still pro yeah. Lance Stevenson. I still think he's got a chance. Um, I wouldn't necessarily like him on a team like the Jazz, but I think he could have a future somewhere. Um, Iman Shumpert was arrested on suspicion of DUI in Georgia. 
Uh, it was actually last month, and then the Cavs only announced it last week. Turns out uh, that it looks like the drug was marijuana, not alcohol, that led to the DUI. I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but that's that's what it is. Uh, and so we'll see what happens with Shumps uh, if he gets suspended at the beginning of the season or anything like that. Uh, obviously a big role player for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh-huh. All right, we've got a couple of questions on Twitter from you guys. Uh, one from Brandon Whitesides, at Rosalados Blanco. I like it. Why would we ask more of Rodney Hood in his third year when Gordon is considered a max player without huge jumps? I think that's fair. Like, Gordon Hayward has never taken a big jump, right? Like, he's no. gotten better and better and better and better every season. Uh, and that's kind of what we're saying about Rodney Hood is it's unlikely that he takes those jumps. So why would we ask more of, of Rodney Hood in his third year than we ask of Gordon Hayward? I don't know if that we are. I think his case is Gordon Hayward's not a max player where he is, and I think it's pretty clear Gordon Hayward is a max player. Uh, I'm not saying that like we should demand Rodney Hood to make jumps. I think there's a big gulf, um, honestly, between where Rodney Hood and Gordon Hayward are. I think Rodney Hood was good for about a month and a half last season, kind of on that Gordon Hayward level, and Hayward brought it 65 out of the 80 games he played. Yeah, I would totally agree. Here's the other thing. Rodney Hood was really dependent on Gordon Hayward for solid statistics last year, and David Locke (laughs) talked about that in a podcast where they actually play better together on the floor than they do when one or the other's off it. And, and Rodney especially, right? His numbers are really affected. So like you said, Andy, we're not expecting Rodney Hood to make this monumental leap. Gordon's been incremental year after year. If Rodney could do what Gordon's done over his first six, six seasons and be incrementally better year after year, then that's a win. I think the Jazz would be pretty Absolutely. happy with that. I mean, if if he ends up being kind of that same quality of player. Obviously, if he's better, great. If not, whatever. Uh, but yeah. If, so can I ask you a quick question? Of, yeah, go ahead. What is Rodney Hood's contract look like uh, the next guy, time around here? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think it all depends a lot on this season, right? Because then he can get an extension. Uh, you can try to, try to negotiate an extension after this if, right. if he'd like. Uh, oh. But numbers wise, just in today's current a NBA landscape, a lot of money. Like, I mean, what what does his max look like? Like twenty five million dollars at that point. So, uh, his probably something just below that, like a twenty million dollar a year player. I mean, that sounds crazy, right? But that's where we are in the max, right? Like two so years like ago, a, that's a twelve million dollar player. So like a CJ McCollum, four yeah. years, one hundred six, like somewhere in there. Yeah, maybe. Or? I don't think he's shown what CJ McCollum has yet. But no. then again, he's also a year younger. So or a career year younger yep. cj mccollum is actually mm-hmm. a younger player but uh, anyway i think that's true yeah. cj mccollum younger than rodney hood yeah i think I the think draft so. year before him right but then cj mccollum was younger i think when he came out no he was a four-year guy no, he's a four-year guy at okay. Lehigh. all right yeah. i take it all back yeah. uh regardless i think yeah i think that four-year 106 is is a relatively reasonable target uh, which is a lot of money to spend on on a player, but that's that's where our cap space is. Yeah, no, I agree. You got another question on Twitter as well. Yeah, this comes from Rida Man Thirty Two. Shout out again to the Rida family. The Rida family. Yeah, we've the, had the flow Rida family. These are the it's the Florence family. Just so we can clarify. Okay, but good friends of mine. Okay. Let's go here. He says, "Do this year's Jazz have a player in this year's All Star game? And if so, who?" I think yes. I think they're uh, there's success this season will lead to that 
Uh, you look at the, the opening of their schedule, and it's, it's very difficult, right, in November. But December yeah. and January, when all-star voting is happening and, and the coaches get to pick those lineups, I think the Jazz will really be excelling. Uh, they have a lot of games at home, and I think one of the coaches will, uh, or the coaches as a whole, will recognize that and choose to bring one of the Jazz's players. I think ultimately it's most likely that Gordon Hayward gets credit for that success. I could see Rudy Gobert getting that nod as kind of being the guy that's hardest to game plan against. That's the guy that changes a team's how they play against the Jazz more than any other player. Uh, but I, I think ultimately Gordon Hayward's going to get a lot of the credit for what the Jazz are doing, and, and rightfully so. So if I'm hearing you right, then recency bias come December, January is going to hopefully help the Jazz mm-hmm. if, if they're playing well, which we expect them to do. Yeah, like I said, a lot of home games in, in December. I think Gordon Hayward is, is going to be the guy. Uh, Derek Favors is maybe my dark horse. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Uh, um, I mean, he's a very good player. Favors, uh, this is my hot take. Okay. I think Favors is the best young back-to-the-basket player in the NBA. Uh, pa- I mean, is DeMarcus Cousins not young? Like, what do you, what's your uh, I, cutoff for Well, young? okay, I, I should say just below the premier tier of guys in the mold of a boogie or do you get what I'm saying? So, okay. so maybe the guys who aren't household names, I would say favors. I think he's 100% better than Tristan Thompson. Yeah, sure. Or somebody like that. I think he's a better post player than the majority of guys that they go up against. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay, favors or Drummond? Favor offensively? Uh, total. Total package. Okay. Fine, Drummond. No, I, I think would... I, I might go favors there, honestly. Really? Um, given Drummond's free throw shooting problems, that's true. And on, I don't love Drummond's defense. I, and fine. I love, I love that favors can be in the game late and make free throws. What an asset! We've seen that. That's the number one reason why I wouldn't give DeAndre the max, or and I guess in this case Drummond. If you the guy can't be on the floor in the last three to four minutes of the game, why are you paying him big numbers? I get well, it. Well, because they're also good at other things. Yeah, they're good at other you things. You just hate the defensive centers. No, 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 Andy, I'm just trying to say, if a guy can't shoot free throws, they're going to foul him, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, I think the Drummond level of not being able to make free throws is, well, it's 20% worse than the DeAndre Jordan level of not being able well, to make free 11, throws, right? Well, 11, but yeah, okay. it's close <laughs> So I, th- I think there's a big difference in, in how many minutes you can play those guys on the floor. I think keeping DeAndre in is sometimes the right decision. Keeping Drummond in when guys are hacking him all the time is almost never a good decision. we got to take a break. On the other side, we've got the, the wrap-up of this show. Uh, I want to I talk about these nicknames. Jared Dubin had a, a great list of the 11 types of basketball yeah, nicknames. Uh, and, of course, we've got some SLC Stars news to bring you late on in the show. So wrapping up the Salt City Hoop show next on ESPN 700. Last seven. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. We gotta turn this thing around. Ah, yeah, some Jazz brothers come at you. Um, can I get the playlist for this show? Yeah, we can make that happen, right? We can burn a CD. Do pe- okay. can, we, can we still do that? Uh, we are either confirming nor denying nor endorsing such activity. Oh, okay. But yeah, we'll get it done. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll get. Uh, yeah, I don't know how we're going to make this happen, but uh, sure. I don't know who owns the rights to the Jazz Brothers music. Probably anymore. the Jazz Brothers, but I don't know. 
It was worth a Carmelo shot. Carmelo and Thurl Bailey are doing pretty well as is. Yeah, right? they're fine. <laughs> but for people like that, there's a reason they're doing really well. That's true. Outside of being outrageously good at basketball. All right, so we've got... That's uh, a good point. Yeah, that's, I like it. So we've got this article from Jared Duban that I wanted to, to talk about briefly. The 11 types of nicknames you'll see in the NBA. Um, the initials, the hyphenated ones, the abbreviated names, the replacement names... The, the body descriptors, the game descriptors. Let me let me just read some of these. I mean, obviously, the initial initial ones are obvious, right? Like LBJ or whatever. And then the terrible, like, hyphenated ones like D-Will or D-Rose or D-Wade or J-Kid or whatever. Some of them are fun, like Coupon, but really, I'm not a big fan of these. Abbreviated names, again, whatever. Um, Mellow, uh, uh, Steph, uh, obviously, Zoe, Sheed, whatever. I really liked Neek. I thought that one was awesome. Yeah, Neek is great. Uh, so, yeah, like, some of them are great. Some of them are not. Replacement names I'm always for. So, like, a, a kid gets a nickname growing up and then it sticks. So, like, Spud Webb or Penny Hardaway, guys, uh, Magic Johnson, guys, like, who get this nickname early and that's how you just know them. And, you know, you don't know. What's Spud Webb's real name? I have no idea. No. Muggsy Bugs? Not sure. But I didn't know he that Muggsy Bugs was a nickname. It's like some of there. them are obvious. Like Speedy Claxon, Speedy was probably not his name. They didn't know he was fast when he was a baby. But guys like Spud, uh, okay, maybe Spud is a bad name for a human baby too. Okay, is Chipper <laughs> Jones a nickname or is his real name? Chipper's a nickname. His first name is uh, Larry. Really it makes t- Larry makes Jones total sense. Give me the Chipper. Yeah, Chipper's. I mean, a, a way better name. Now, the game descriptor ones are, are the best, right? So, like, Clyde the Glide or, or Nick the Quick, you've got Thunder Dan, Air Canada, Chocolate Thunder, JR Swish. All these are great. The grandfather's like, awesome. Yeah, I mean, Big Game James for Big Shot Bob or Rob. I mean, all of these, like, fun game descriptors are, are, are great. So I really loved Big Game James until I watched a Hardwood Classics of him and Carl Malone going... Mono, mono a mono, and, and after I kind of felt like eh, I don't really love Big Game James as much. Give me the mailman any day of the week. Okay, how about these body descriptors? Things like uh, Charles Barkley's The Round Mound of Rebound. You've got Wilt the Stilt, The Big <laughs> Fundamental. Do you like any of those? Uh, I actually am a big fan of The Big Aristotle. Yeah, That I mean, was one of my favorites. Shaq's like, whole nickname tree is great. I, I like the Shaqtus when he moved yep. to Phoenix. That was a great thing. Uh, the big Shamrock when he moved to Boston. I mean, he was maybe the most, uh, more nicknames than anybody else, or at least uh, more self-given nicknames than anybody else in mm. NBA history. Definitely. Uh, but my favorite one, and I think this is a body descriptor as well, Dubin lists this at the very end, is, uh, let me find it here, the Slim Reaper. Mm. That one's awesome. Like, why was Kevin Durant not down with that? I don't, Do you have any insight? Because he he doesn't like that it's a negative portrayal of him, right? Like, Kevin Durant wants to be the good guy, and the Slim Reaper is was is the devil, right? But, but he's he's a little bit too religious to. That's go what along he with is being, to opposing defenses, right? But he doesn't. He wants to be the good guy. He wants to be the slim. Jesus, I don't know what's what's fair to Dude, say. Dude, he, he's got Rick James tattooed on his thigh. He like, does now. Now he now he has to go with the Slim Reaper. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough to make that jump when you got Rick James and also Tupac. Is that all in the same leg or are those? I think those legs? are different. Le- I honestly have no idea. They're, they're on his leg. Okay. Uh, 
you've got kind of the 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 nicknames, if you will. So the mailman, the answer, the glove, the dream, and it kind of depends on how good that next noun is, right? So like the mailman is really fun, but then like the big O is not that great, or the machine. Talking about Sasha Vujicic is a not great name, and the nicknames work better when they're really descriptive of who the guy actually is. I love Gary Payton, the glove. Right. I think that's fantastic. a top five. That's nickname, a game descriptor right? and a the nickname, right? Exactly. The machine for Sasha Vujicic, not so much. Yeah. Come on now. You've got some pop culture nicknames, things like Super Mario Chalmers, Chef Curry, Sideshow Bob, uh, Skywalker, Bad News Barnes. Those are all great. Sauce Castillo. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's a pop culture event. It maybe became a pop culture event because of, of Sauce Castillo, that closed caption thing. I mean, but again, some of them are good. Some of them aren't. Yeah. Il Mago uh, for, um, oh, I'm blanking it, for Andre Bargnani. Oh, yep. Okay. And I mean, the magician, come on now. Uh, I like group nicknames. Uh so, Bad Boys, Pistons, the Showtime Lakers, the Jail Blazers, the Grit and Grind Grizzlies. Rolls-Royce Backcourt. Run TMC, the Splash Brothers, or the Stash Brothers from Oklahoma City. I like, I like those so long as they're creative. Um, Bench Mob has been done before. Death Lineup has been done before. Uh, but, like, Jail Blazers is kind of fun, right? Uh, that was awesome. That was actually that such a cool team. It. I'll be honest. I loved that team. And then you've got original nicknames, so uh, and this is what he calls the Holy Grail. Things like White Chocolate, Larry Legend, uh, Iceman for George Gervin, Dr. J, Agent Zero, uh, Psycho T. Uh, <laughs> tough Juice. Yeah, I, I, tough, uh, yeah, I mean, all of these are pretty great. As he points out, Kevin Durant, Slim Reaper, could have been an original nickname until KD shot it down. Best nickname in the NBA, Because he Andy? tried to get people to call him the Servant. That's uh, terrible. Yeah, for, forgive him. Best nickname in the NBA. Ooh, I think you're putting me on the spot here. Do you got one? Boogie. That's my favorite. Boogie Cousins. That's a pretty good one. Uh, putting me on spot. I, I don't know. I mean, I like uh, Psycho T is pretty good. I loved Agent <laughs> Zero when that was a thing. Yeah. Uh, tell you what. I'll tweet it out after the show. Fair I, enough. I, I got to have a minute just to think of all the Fair good enough. ones. All right, that's our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, download our show as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or ESPN700sports.com, SaltCityHoops.com, Andy Larson, Stephen Lindsay. Thanks for having out. me. Have a good one, everyone. ESPN700.